You are listening to the First Baptist Church Martin podcast. For more information on our church, visit fbcmartin.org. Baptist. You got your Bible? Let me invite you to turn with me, if you would, to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 1 Corinthians 7. We are. Uh, studying this New Testament letter from the Apostle Paul written to the believers uh, in the church at Corinth in the first century. It's a word that's just as relevant for us today as it was to them. Uh, The issues that Paul deals with in this letter that were real issues in the church at Corinth are the same issues that we're still struggling with and dealing with today in the church. And as we murked our way into chapter 7 last week, I told you that uh, this chapter uh, is filled with issues and things that are ten- they, they would tend to, to make, um, make us very uncomfortable. Things that are hard to talk about, some things that make us very uneasy, but they are real-life issues. Things that they were dealing with in Corinth, things that we're dealing with still today, and that is certainly true about the subject that we're going to be addressing this morning, which is the subject of marriage and divorce. It's really unfortunate, but we live at a time today where there are very few people remaining who have not in some way been touched by the tragedy of divorce. Either you have been through a divorce yourself or somebody that you know somebody that you're close to has been through a divorce. Now, if you're an exception to that, if you're a a person sitting here this morning and divorce has never touched your life and it's never happened in your family, praise God for that. But do recognize that today you are more of an exception than you are the rule. All around you are people today who silently suffer people who still are struggling with feelings of shame and guilt because of a broken marriage, because of a divorce that took place at some point in their life. And I know this to be the case. Many years ago, I was in my first church, and I got a call one morning from someone who was obviously upset, and they said, Mike, I I really need to talk to you. Can I come and see you? They did not want to tell me what was wrong over the phone, and so, of course, I said, come on. And a few hours later, they showed up at my house. She came in, she sat down, and she began to tell me that her marriage was coming to an end, that she and her husband were about to get a divorce. It's not something that she wanted. Her marriage had been troubled. There were some issues that they had been dealing with, but she was doing everything that she could to work through those issues. Even though she had been hurt in this marriage, she had tried to forgive and to move past those things and to keep the family together, but it had become obvious that her husband didn't want that, and he didn't want to be married to her any longer, and so her marriage was coming to an end, and I, and I tried to comfort her. I took Scripture and shared it with her, but I will never forget what she said to me on that morning. She looked at me and she said, Mike, my life has changed forever, and I'm a marked individual from this day forward. 
people are never going to look at me the same. I fear that even the people I go to church with are going to snicker about me or they're going to whisper about me behind my back. I feel like a person who is now going to wear this scarlet D draped over my life for the rest of my days. And that person was my sister. My heart broke for her in that moment. And I tell you that story so that you know this morning that my, my intent, if you have been through that, if you've experienced that in any way whatsoever, my intent this morning is certainly not to beat you up or to make you feel worse about what's already a bad situation in your life. I want you to know that I get it. I, I understand. I've not been through it myself. But people I love have been through it. And I've watched them up close as they have struggled and as they have suffered through the tragedy and the pain of a divorce. And I want you to know this morning that in this place there is mercy and there is grace and there is compassion for every broken heart and for every individual this morning who has something in your past that you may be ashamed of, whether it's divorce or something else, I want you to know that there is mercy and grace from God in this place. And we are all recipients of that mercy and that grace because we have all sinned and we have all come short of the glory of God. And even though I want to treat this subject with tenderness and with compassion, and I want there to be clear this morning that there is mercy and grace in this place. Please understand that also the mission of the church is to hold high the Word of God, to teach what God's Word says so that we may hear it, that we may understand it, and that we may obey it so that we may be able to avoid those things in life that are certain to bring us heartache and pain. And divorce is one of those things. And so in this passage, Paul is dealing with this subject matter. He's dealing with it because he was asked some questions about marriage and divorce. He's writing to a congregation that is really mixed up. They're really, they're really young in their faith. They haven't really grown in their faith since the day they were saved. Many of them in the church are still very spiritually immature. And they're trying to figure out how to live the Christian life, and what's right and what's wrong, and what would God have us to do in this area and in that area. And as they are trying to figure these things out, they submit to Paul some questions that they need answers to. And one of those questions was, when is it, when is it acceptable? When is it okay for a husband and wife to get a divorce? And it's with that in mind that Paul responds to them here in this chapter beginning with verse 10. So would you stand with me this morning in honor of God's Word today as we read it together. 1 Corinthians 7, verse 10. Now to the married I command, yet not, yet not I, but the Lord, a wife is not to depart from her husband. But if she does depart, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband, and a husband is not to divorce his wife. But to the rest I, not the Lord, say... If any brother has a wife who does not believe and she's willing to live with him, let him not divorce her. And a woman who has a husband who does not believe, if he's willing to live with her, let her not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but now they are 
holy. But if the unbeliever departs, let him depart. A brother or sister is not under bondage in such cases, but God has called us to peace. For how do you know, O wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, O husband, whether you will save your wife? And Lord, again, we acknowledge to you this morning that we're dealing with a very tender subject today. And in this room, I am certain that there are people who still are hurting and struggling, perhaps because of something in their past, maybe because of something that they are experiencing and going through right now in the present. And I pray, God, that you would come and that you would speak with clarity through your Holy Spirit today into our lives and let us understand that there is mercy and grace and forgiveness from our God for all of our sin when we turn and put our trust in Jesus Christ as our Savior, but yet still there is a standard and you have a design and a perfect will for our life and we would do well to heed your word and to obey it, that we might be blessed and that you might be glorified. And so, Lord, help us to live in that balance this morning. And I pray that you would be honored and glorified in all that we do today. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So, there are really two things that Paul does <clears throat> here in this passage. The first thing that he does is he shares with us on this issue of marriage and divorce, he shares a word from God to all who are married, to every person who is married. Here's a word from the Lord. Paul says, now to the married I command, yet not I but the Lord, that a wife is not to depart from her husband. But even if she does depart, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband, and a husband is not to divorce his wife. Now what he's doing here is he is reminding them and reminding all of us of what Jesus taught himself on the subject of marriage and divorce. Jesus, when he was here, was asked that question about marriage and divorce, and what did he think, and what what was God's design and what was God's will concerning marriage and divorce. And what Paul is doing is not quoting directly from Jesus here, but basically giving us a summary of everything that Jesus said about marriage and divorce. And what he says is this, marriage is for keeps. Marriage is intended to be a permanent commitment between a husband and a wife. It is a covenant relationship that two people make, not just with one another, but with God as well. And God intends for us to honor that covenant and to keep that commitment that we make when we marry. Now, even though he doesn't quote from Jesus directly here, the passages that Paul would have in mind, where Paul is getting his information, would be passages like Matthew chapter 5, verses 31 and 32. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talked about marriage. God's design for marriage. He would be talking about Matthew chapter 19, verses 3 through 12, where Jesus was asked the question about his view of marriage and divorce. He would be thinking about Mark chapter 10, where beginning at, that chap at, at the beginning of that chapter, Jesus again addresses this issue of marriage and divorce. And what God has said is this, marriage is a permanent commitment. 
that is only to be dissolved or ended by death itself. And so when Jesus was asked about marriage, and Paul doesn't even go back here, but when Jesus was asked about marriage, what he did in Matthew 19 and in Mark 10 is he took us all the way back to God's original design for the marriage relationship. He gave us the basis for his view on marriage. He took us back to where God established the marriage relationship. And in Genesis 2, Jesus quotes this as he's talking in Matthew chapter 19. He says to the ones questioning him, Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning, talking about God who made the man and the woman at the beginning, he made them male and female, which means that marriage by God's design is between a man and a woman. Period. So he says, have you not read that he who made them in the beginning made them male and female? And he said, when he brought them together, when he brought Adam and Eve together in marriage, God said, for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two, but they are one flesh. And then Jesus adds, therefore, what God has joined together Let not man separate. In other words, this is a permanent bond and nothing and no one should break that bond. The interesting thing about the word joined, it's a word that uh, we would use the word welded. It would be sort of similar to that, that idea of two things coming together, merging together, being merged together or brought together as one. And when you weld something together, it is intended to to, to last, it's intended to be a permanent bond, and if you try to pull those things apart, what you end up doing is destroying or damaging both parts, both pieces that have been brought together. And Jesus said marriage is the same way. When two people come together in marriage, they are never, they're, they're, never, uh, they're, they're never quite the same. Their lives become so intersected, they become so joined together in this bond, in this covenant relationship that you can't separate them without damaging both. And that's not God's will for our life. God doesn't want you to experience that pain, that heartache, that suffering that divorce brings upon us. And so God says, listen, marriage is intended to be a permanent commitment. Now what Paul also doesn't mention here is that in Matthew chapter 19, Jesus does give an exception. He does it in Mark 10 as well. Jesus says that there is an instance where divorce is permissible. And he says that's in the case of sexual immorality. Matthew 19 verse 9, and I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery, and whoever marries her who is divorced commits adultery. Now, I want you to know that Jesus did not prescribe divorce here, even in this instance. He just said that divorce is permissible in such cases. If there has been a spouse who's been unfaithful to the other and has committed sexual immorality, they are guilty of adultery. They've gone outside the marriage relationship. Well, then they've damaged the marriage covenant. And Jesus says that that in those instances when you've got a person who is living in sexual immorality and they will not repent of their sexual immorality, then the person who is innocent in that case is able to divorce in that marriage and then move on and not be guilty. But he says this is only 
something that is permissible. It's not something prescribed. If there's any way, even in those instances where there has been infidelity in a marriage, if it's even possible to be able to work it out, I believe the Lord would say, work it out. And I'll tell you something. I know for a fact that there are couples who have lived through that. There are couples who have suffered the devastating blow of infidelity in a marriage relationship, and though it was hurtful, and though it took a long time, and though it took a lot of work, they managed to stay together. The person who was hurt in that relationship was able to forgive the offender in that relationship, and not only did they manage to survive They came out on the other side with a marriage that was healthier and stronger than anything they'd ever known before. I have seen it happen. And Jesus would say, if that's possible, if you could do that, if you could overcome that sin even and keep the marriage together, then certainly you should do that. But when that becomes impossible, then God gives you permission to divorce. And with that permission comes permission to move on with your life. Perhaps one day even remarry. Now that's what Jesus taught about marriage and divorce. Paul doesn't mention the exception clause here. He says nothing about it. And many have raised the question, why not? Why did not Paul bring this up to the Corinthians when they had questions about marriage and divorce? And here's why. Because Corinth was a city known for sexual immorality, and many of those in this church had that sin in their past. Before they got married or before they got saved, they had been guilty of sexual immorality. These were very young believers, and they were carnal believers. And Paul, I think, is very concerned about muddying the water for them so that they might twist his words, misunderstand what he is saying, and think that if I'm married to someone who has been guilty of sexual immorality in the past, even if it was before they were saved or before we got married, if that's a part of their life, then God is giving me permission to leave them and divorce. And Paul is not suggesting that whatsoever. And so Paul doesn't even go there. The other reason why Paul doesn't mention it is because this wasn't even really the issue with these believers in Corinth. When you go back and you look at Scripture and this passage in its context, which you should always do to understand what God is saying, when you look at this passage as a whole, it's not sexual immorality that is raising this question of whether or not I should remain in this marriage. Instead, there were believers who were married to someone and their needs weren't being fulfilled. There were unmet needs in these relationships. Somebody's not doing something that I think that they should be doing. I feel unhappy in this marriage. Paul, would it be okay if I divorced my spouse because my needs aren't getting met? Paul is saying no. That's not a justifiable cause or reason for divorce. Some of them were thinking at this point that they're married to the wrong person because they had gotten saved and yet their spouse remained lost. And Paul's going to deal with that in just a moment. But because they are married to someone who doesn't share their values, who doesn't share their love for the Lord, they're thinking to themselves, well, listen, I've married the wrong person now, and maybe I just need to break free from that person. And Paul is telling them, no, listen, this is not what God is saying. This is not God's plan for the marriage relationship. If you are married and you can stay married, stay married, period. That's it. 
And so here's a word from the Lord to everyone who's married this morning. What is God's will for my marriage? Is that you stay together for life. Period. Now having said that, Paul moves on to the next thing. And in this passage, what he does is he he moves from a word from the Lord to all who are married to now talking specifically to those who are married to an unbelieving spouse. Paul says in verse 12, but but to the rest, I, not the Lord, say, and he's going to give us some more instruction on marriage. But when he says to the rest, he's talking here about believers who are married to unbelievers. And that becomes clear by what he says next. I do want to mention something, though, to make sure that I clear up any confusion that anyone might have about the beginning of verse 12. Paul is not insinuating here that his words are not from the Lord. When he says, this is from me and not from the Lord, what he's saying is this. When I, when I talked about marriage previously in verses 10 and 11, I am taking that based on what Jesus himself said when he was here on this earth. Jesus was asked about marriage and divorce, and this is what Jesus said. That's what Paul is saying. He just gives us a summary, but he's saying this is what Jesus taught about marriage and divorce. But now he's talking about marriage to an unbelieving spouse. Well, Jesus didn't address that. When you look at Jesus' earthly ministry, what we have recorded for us in the Gospels, there's no... no incident where Jesus was asked, yeah, but, but what about if I am a, I'm, a, I'm a follower of yours and I'm married to somebody who's not? He either wasn't asked that question or it never came up. Jesus never said anything about it. But now this is a real issue because the gospel is moving throughout the world. It's come into these Gentile places. You've got people who were lost, knew nothing about God, who are now getting saved. And some are now in an unequal yoke because one believer has responded to the gospel and the other has not. And they don't know what to do with this. And so Paul is saying, okay, here is a word from the Lord to you. Because keep in mind, it's in the Bible. And if it's in the Bible, it means that it is inspired by the Holy Spirit of God. Because all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Every bit of it is God's Word, not just the words in red. If you're wondering how much of the Bible is inspired, it's all inspired. And it's all equally inspired. And so what Paul says here is just as authoritative as what Jesus said in the Gospels. It carries just as much weight. We pay just as much attention to what Paul says here as to what Jesus said in Matthew 19 and Mark chapter 10. So Paul says, okay, I've got a word from you. Now Jesus didn't talk about this, but the Holy Spirit of God has moved in my life because of this situation to write to you and to address this. And so this is from the Lord. And here's what the Lord says. If any brother has a wife who does not believe and she's willing to live with him, let him not divorce her. And if a woman has a husband who does not believe and he is willing to live with her, let her not divorce him. Now, the idea here is this. You've got a believer married to an unbeliever, but the unbeliever is living out his or her faith in that home in front of that unbelieving spouse in a very quiet In a very respectable way, the believer is faithful to Jesus and faithful to God's calling on 
his or her life to follow Jesus, but they are married to someone who does not yet follow Jesus, but this person is okay with this believer living out his or her faith there in the home. Paul says if you're in a situation like that, you're married to someone who may not be a Christian, but they don't mind you being a Christian, they don't mind you following Jesus, they don't mind you living out your faith, then you stay in that marriage. Now, he's not recommending that you take the Bible and beat your spouse over the head with the Bible every night, that you're nagging your spouse all the time about, about, uh, about Christianity and about coming to faith in Jesus. You're never going to win them that way. You can't save them. God has to save them. But what you do is you just live out your faith. You be faithful to God. You honor God in your life. You live a clear Christian testimony of faithfulness to Jesus in front of your family. And if your family is okay with that, your husband's okay with that, your wife's okay with that, then great. You stay put. And he tells us why a little later. He says in verse 14, For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Otherwise your children would be unclean, but now they are holy. Confusing verse here. But let me tell you what he's not saying, and then I'll tell you what he is saying. He's not saying that the unbelieving spouse is saved as a result of a believing spouse being in the home. He's not even saying that the children in that home are saved because there is a Christian parent in the house. We all know, at least I hope we know, it doesn't work that way. I mean, if I could have been saved for my kids, I would have made that decision for them. Some of you in a relationship, perhaps in a marriage, that if you could be saved for your spouse, you most certainly would be saved for your, for, for your spouse. You would trust Jesus on their behalf so that you would know they would go to heaven one day. But it doesn't work that way. Trusting Christ, following Christ, is an individual decision. Every person has to make that decision for himself or herself. What Paul is saying is this. Paul is saying that your presence if you are a believer, married to an unbeliever, your presence in that home, for one, brings about with it a blessing from God on the entire family that would not be there otherwise. In other words, God will bless a house just because there's a believer living in the house who is faithful to him. But also what he's saying is this, is that by you living out your faith there in that home, quietly, respectfully, but you just being a consistent witness for Jesus Christ, for them being able to look at you and see the power of the gospel at work in your life, for them to look at you and see a, a testimony of faithfulness to Christ, he's saying you don't know how God may use that to one day bring your unbelieving spouse to faith in him. Now you won't save him or you won't save her. God will do that, but God will use your witness there in that home to help make that happen. Who knows? And for sure, Having a believer in that house, if there are children involved, greatly increases the likelihood of those kids coming to faith in Christ. I have seen it. I've seen people in these unequal yokes. One spouse doesn't care a thing in the world about church. They don't mind the, the other spouse going to church, but they don't care anything about church. And they're not interested in religion, don't care anything about God. At least that's the way it appears. 
have no relationship with God. But that believing, that believing spouse and parent in that home has a deep relationship with Jesus, brings those kids to church, Make sure that those children are involved in things that will help lay a spiritual foundation in their life. And those children end up coming to faith in Jesus, many of them at a very early age, all as a result of the witness of that believing parent in their life. And Paul says, listen, you've you got to understand how important your witness is to the family. Even in your, if you're in a, in, a, in a less than ideal situation, understand how important your witness is. Now listen, I'll tell you something. There, there is no minimizing, there is no denying that kids greatly benefit from a mom and dad staying together in marriage. There's no denying that. For their mom and their dad to remain together in the marriage relationship, it is. It really is to their benefit. And so Paul is saying, with spiritual wisdom, listen, if that's possible and you can remain and those kids can grow up with a father and with a mother, that's going to be good for them. But understand how important your role is as a Christian in that house and in their life to help bring them to Jesus. And so if there's a way to make that marriage work and your spouse, even though they don't believe, are willing to stay married to you, then you stay married to them. This is what Paul says under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But then... But then he says, but if the unbeliever departs, let him depart. A brother or sister is not under bondage in such cases because God has called us to peace. For how do you know, O wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, O husband, whether you will save your wife? In other words, if you're living in a hostile environment, if you're living in a, an environment where there is a great deal of, of tension, your spouse makes it hard for you as a follower of Jesus, and you're trying to live out your faith, and eventually that spouse says, you know what, I am sick of this, I'm tired of this, I'm tired of this Jesus stuff, I'm tired of you, you talking about this faith or living out your faith in front of you. I just don't want to be married to a Christian. That's, I just don't want to be married to you anymore, and they leave. Paul says, listen, if, if that's the case, then you let them go. You let them go. God's called us to peace. It's obvious they don't want to be married to you. It's a hostile and very contentious environment. And if they choose to leave, he says, let them go. And then he adds in verse 16, for how do you know, a wife, whether you would save your husband? Or how do you know, a husband, whether you would save your wife? Some people believe that belongs in front of verse 15, but God places things exactly where he wants them in his word. And what I think he's saying there is this. There are people who have been in those situations some of you may know people who have been in a situation just like Paul describes. And even though the marriage was difficult and it was strained and it was hard as a believer married to an unbeliever, when that unbeliever chooses to walk away, it is hurtful. And there's no, there's no denying the, the love and the bond that these two have shared in marriage. And sometimes that believing spouse, as they watch that unbelieving spouse walk away from the marriage, may carry with them feelings of guilt and shame. And they may feel like, listen, if, 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 if I'm not in their life, then they're never, they're never going to ever come to Jesus. And what Paul, I think, is saying here is, listen, you, you, you don't save anybody. You can't save anybody. If they don't want to remain with you, if they're intent on not staying with you, 
then let them go. And you just have to trust them to God and pray that one day God will get a hold of their heart somehow, some way. It may take this in order for God to finally get a hold of them and bring them to repentance, but you need to understand that you don't carry the weight in your life of being responsible for their salvation. That's on them. That's their choice there. So this is God's Word. Marriage and divorce. Now with that, I want to give you three takeaways for everybody in this room. Three things just to think about as we conclude this morning. The first is this, and this is for everybody. Some of you are sitting here this morning and you're not married, but you may one day be married. In all likelihood, you may one day be married. And you need to listen to what I'm about to say. One of the first things that we take away from everything that God says in his word about marriage and divorce is that marriage is sacred. And God expects those who enter into that relationship to fulfill the covenant and the commitment that they have made, not just to their spouse, but also to him. I tell people when they marry, God is a witness of the marriage vows. He is the unseen guest at every, at every marriage ceremony. God hears the vows that you make to one another, and he intends that they be kept so long as you both shall live. Because that's true. When you enter into marriage, it is intended to be a permanent bond. It is a lasting relationship, a permanent commitment that two people have made to one another. And we need to understand that. The world treats marriage lightly. The world treats marriage as if it's no big deal, but God's Word treats marriage much differently. Marriage is sacred in the eyes of God. It is to be protected in the eyes of God, and the marriage commitment is to be honored before God. And so if you're sitting here this morning and you're married, you're married and you're wondering what is God's will for your life, it is to stay married. That's God's intent. That's God's design. In any way possible, you are to try to keep that marriage together and to honor the commitments that you've made. If you're not married, then you need to understand how serious this commitment is when you finally enter into it. That's why Paul said, listen, earlier in this chapter, listen, if you're single and, and you don't want the commitment of being married and you think you can remain single and you can keep yourself pure in doing so, then by all means do so. Gives you more flexibility, more freedom to serve the Lord. But if you can't remain single and be pure, if God has called you to marry, then you need to get married. But that is not a suggestion that you just go out and find some warm body to marry. It means that you should understand that God is calling you to marry and you should seek a person who falls into God's design and God's will for you in marriage. Which means that as a believer, I don't go looking for unbelievers to marry. I shouldn't even be dating an unbeliever if I am a follower of Jesus Christ. Because I'm telling you, marital evangelism very seldom ever works. It is a bad idea. Why would you join yourself up to someone who does not share your faith intentionally? It's one thing to be lost with another person who is lost and then come to faith in Christ and find that you're in an unequal yoke. It's a completely different thing to be saved and to enter into an unequal yoke willingly. You are setting yourself up for a hostile, contentious relationship. And more times than not, instead of pulling that unbeliever up, the unbeliever pulls the believing spouse down. 
You find yourself on Sundays arguing about what you're going to do and how you're going to spend your Sunday. The unbeliever just wants to treat it like it's any other day and wants to take the kids and do this and that and something else. You want to take the kids to church, and oftentimes it is a source of great contention and argument in the home. Why would you put yourself through that? If marriage is intended to be for keeps, make sure that you marry someone that fits God's design and God's will for your life. You ought to like the person that you're married married to. Can I get a witness? I mean, if I'm going to live with you for the rest of my life, we need to at least like each other a little bit. Praise God. You don't get along now. Don't think marriage is going to fix that. Just use godly wisdom. Pray over it. Seek the Lord's will. There's a lot of freedom in the person that we would marry within God's will. But God does have certain things that we should be looking for. And if marriage is that serious, then we need to approach it that seriously. Here's the second thing. The focus of a believing spouse in a less than ideal marriage should not be, how can I get out of this? But it should be on, what can I do to make things better in this marriage? Every marriage takes work. Some marriages take more work than others. But this is what we commit to when we marry. We marry for better or for... See, y'all don't even know why you marry. That's how bad it is today. We don't even know the traditional marriage vows. We marry for better or for worse. I mean, when you, when you, when you, when you enter into marriage, it's not just, well, you know... As long as everything is good, as long as, as long as everything is easy, as long as you do what I want you to do, as long as we don't have any trouble, as long as there are not any problems, and I'm going to stick it out. Now, when you enter into marriage, it is no matter what, no matter what, I am committed to this relationship. No matter what, I'm going to stick it out with you. And that takes work. But sometimes marriages fail. Because unfortunately, it takes two people to make a marriage work. And many people who have been through the agony of divorce, not wanting to go through it, doing everything they could to try to save the marriage, but then uh, the person that they're married to just wants out. They just are determined to leave. What do you do with that? There's not much you can do with that. But here's what I would tell you. Don't let it ever be said, if you're married, that you did anything less but give God your best and try to honor Him in the relationship with your spouse. If it ends, don't let it end because you did not try and you did not give it your all. Keep loving, keep praying, keep serving, keep giving, and remember that our God, the God that we sang about a few moments ago, the God that we preach, is the God who has the power to raise the dead, and that means even dead marriages. I've seen marriages that were all but over, and God has resurrected those marriages from the dead and given them life. Don't believe he can't do that. Keep trying. Keep praying. Keep working. And the last thing is this. Recognize, that the, recognize the importance of the church in having a healthy marriage. Not just going to church, but connecting with the church and growing in the church with other believers who are there to pray for us and encourage us and offer us godly counsel and godly wisdom 
we're in those, when we're in those places in life and we all get there when we don't know what to do and don't know how to respond, you need people in your life who will give you godly counsel. I will tell you that, that anybody who's married, when you go through a difficult season in marriage, most people will look outside of the marriage to someone for help. They may not go to counseling, but they will look to someone for counseling. They'll ask someone, you know, this is what's going on in my marriage. What should I do? You know what's tragic is that oftentimes believers turn to the people of the world and ask them, what do you think I should do in my marriage? You know what you're going to get when you turn to the world for counsel? You're going to get worldly counsel. And there are people who have made terrible decisions in marriage terrible decisions that have affected the life of their marriage and the future of their marriage because they were listening to ungodly people in their life. You don't want ungodly people trying to tell you what you should do. As a person who is committed to following the will of God, you want godly people speaking into your life. And so surround yourself with godly people. Well, where can I find godly people? How about looking at church? That'd be a good place to start. We're not perfect people. We don't have all of the answers, but in this place are people who have been redeemed by the grace of God, people who desire to follow Jesus Christ, people who are looking to his word to tell us how to do that and surround yourself with people like that because in that company you will find help and godly counsel, not just in marriage, but in all matters and issues related to life. I don't have any statistics to throw in front of you this morning, but I will tell you this. I believe with all of my heart that couples that are involved in church, not just go to church, pop in, pop out, but who are involved in church, they are much less likely to divorce and they are much more likely to have a happy and healthy marriage. I believe that with all of my heart. Because I believe what God can do. Marriage is special to God. And I believe what God can do in a marriage relationship to glorify himself. And to give, as we've said before, a beautiful picture of grace and of the gospel to a watching world who need to see Jesus at work in our life. There's no better place for them to see that than in the relationship between a husband and a wife. And so get involved in church. Not for my benefit, but for your own. Now, I realize this morning that in this room, there are people that are hurting. People who may be sitting here silently hurting. Maybe because of something you've gone through recently. Maybe because of something that you went through years ago, but you have just found it very difficult to get over. Maybe some of you are struggling with feelings of shame and guilt because of past mistakes, past sin in your life. Maybe you look at your divorce and you think, well, my divorce was not for biblical reasons. What does that mean for me? Well, I want to tell you something. It is not the unforgivable sin. Some people will tell you that or make you feel that way anyway, but it is not. Is it sin when you divorce for unbiblical reasons yes but let me ask you is there anybody without sin in this room who'd like to throw the first stone no we're all sinners our only hope in this room is the grace and the mercy of god 
And thank God for Jesus who went to the cross and died for all of our sin. That doesn't minimize anything that God says about marriage. Marriage is sacred. We should treat it as such. But listen, the reason why there's divorce in this world is because there is sin in this world and we're all sinners. And if that's part of your past, if that's a part of your story, and you haven't gotten over that, and you're still carrying the shame and the guilt of that, listen, I'm telling you that today, you don't have to carry that any longer. There is hope for you through the blood of Jesus Christ, who loves you, who gave himself for you so that you could be free from all of your guilt and all of your shame, from all of your sin. If you're here today and you're struggling, you just don't know what to do. You're in a relationship and you just don't know what to do. I want to tell you again, We may not have all the answers, but we know the one who does. And one of the things that you may need today is just someone to pray with you and to pray for you. And we want to be here to do that for you and with you today. And maybe you're here this morning and you're in a very unhealthy situation. Maybe you're in an abusive situation. And you're wondering, what am I supposed to do in that? You're supposed to get help is what you're supposed to do. Don't you stay in a situation. Don't you remain in a situation where you are at danger or your kids are at danger. Listen, you reach out to someone, and we've got pastors here today who would love to talk with you and help you in any way that we possibly can. Maybe you've got something else in your life you need to deal with. This altar is going to be wide open. In just a moment, I'm going to pray, and our pastors are going to the foyer. They're going to the lobby, and they're going to, they're going to be out there through these center doors at what we call the connecting point table which is right in front of the window where the cross stands out in the parking lot. And what I'm going to tell you this morning is what I told you last week. When I begin to pray, you got a need in your life. You need to talk to a pastor. Our pastors are going to be there. You just head to the cross. Amen? You just go to the cross. And someone will be there to talk with you and to pray with you. We want to help you today. If you need Jesus in your life, go and see one of our pastors and let them talk with you today. If you were encouraged by today's sermon, leave us a rating and subscribe to the podcast. To learn more about First Baptist Church Martin, visit fpcmartin.org.